0: Welcome back to the Food Court, Season 2. We took the summer off because what you're hearing, this really lovely background noise, is actually what it sounds like in our quote unquote studio for the better part of the summer. This clip is from early June, and I guess over time uh, those baby birds are replaced with kids and cicadas, but you get the idea. But while we've been away from recording, we've had the opportunity to work on some unusual files, and most importantly, We've been co-organizing Canada's first Food Law and Policy Conference with Season 1 guest of the pod, Professor Jamie Baxter. It's happening at Schulich Law in Halifax this uh, November 3rd and 4th. Check out foodlaw.ca to learn more. Check out the program and the speakers. I think it is going to be truly exceptional. Season 1 was a lot of fun. The podcast won an award. It made some top ten lists and was mentioned a couple times in the Globe and Mail and other news outlets. I was thrilled. Season two can be tough. Last year there were hardly any legal podcasts in Canada. Now I can think of a bunch. This podcast has two things it didn't a year ago, a bunch of listeners, and some expectations. Can we meet those expectations without having to cash in on your goodwill? It's known as the sophomore jinx, or the problem with most sequels. To use film as an example, for every Godfather Part 2, there are probably a million Weekend at Bernie's Part 2s and Speed 2 Cruise controls Is. But this presents a pretty fun challenge. How can we meet those expectations and keep listeners happy and tuned in, or even do better? So, challenge accepted. Welcome to The Food Court, Season 2, a podcast hosted by me, Glenford Jameson, and supported by my law firm, G.S. Jameson & Company. We do great corporate commercial and regulatory work here, primarily for stakeholders from all parts of the food sector. And when we're not doing that, we're researching, we're writing, we're speaking on issues facing food. This season, we've got interviews with lawyers and chefs, food experts and thought leaders, all of whom are doing tremendous things related to the food law space. So take your sophomore jinx and your disappointing sequel, Listen to these interviews that we've prepared and keep telling us who you want to hear from. Oh, and of course, we're still lawyers. So let's take a second and remind everyone that I'm not your lawyer and this isn't legal advice. Enjoy. The past year has brought great public interest to the issue of food waste. This has arisen from different places that inform the discussion that my guest and I have today. There's a private member's bill from the NDP that I think presents some hopeful but also some problematic legislative ideas about how to reduce food waste and improve food recovery. Uh, In his mandate letter to the Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Foods Canada, Trudeau has asked Lawrence McCauley to develop a national food strategy. And John Oliver presented the most important and most high-profile 20 minutes of content that the issue of food waste has ever received. Meanwhile, in Europe... A series of new laws that seek to address food recovery in France and Italy have been implemented, with the rest of the world thinking about how it wants to address the issue. And this spring, I also dropped what was, in retrospect, a bit of a hot take in the Globe and Mail on direct investments to not-for-profit organizations in the food recovery community that specifically mentioned Second Harvest. Instead of taking an approach of you live, you learn, and meh emoji, We decided to come together, me and Deborah Lawson, my guest today, the Executive Director of Second Harvest, and talk about food law and food recovery. So I present to you Deborah. She's the head of Second Harvest, and Second Harvest means uh, the second harvest of food before it becomes waste, from grocers, distributors, farmers, and any other food system stakeholders that have food they aren't going to take to market. It's an organization that needs no introduction in Canada Because it's the largest food recovery organization in the country. It provides something like 22,000 meals a day to those who are food insecure. Now, it has since, from its early days, grown to provide meals to kids when they're not in school uh, and not receiving a school breakfast. And uh, Second Harvest also runs Harvest Kitchens with a view to teaching people cooking skills. Here's Deborah Lawson, uh, ED of Second Harvest, and I speaking in studio earlier in September.
1: Uh, our food procurement person uh, was was down at the Ontario Food Terminal. There was a potato farmer there, actually, a lovely man, man by the name of John Groewen, and um, he had ten thousand pounds of potatoes that a retailer decided not to take. They were just packaged incorrectly. Not a instead of a five pound bag, maybe it was a ten pound bag. Uh, so he said to us, "Can you take this?" We said, "Of, of course, these are absolutely beautiful potatoes." And uh and, and then we were able to redistribute them to our two hundred and twenty social service agencies within about forty eight hours. John then came up to our to our warehouse to do his due diligence and and see who we were, which of course everybody who donates food should do that. Yeah. Because we do that on the other side to the agencies. We actually have a you know, we have a contract with everybody. John came up to the warehouse and went went really impressed with what he saw and had no idea who we really were, went back to the, um, the group of, uh, association of farmers and PI and said, let's, let's grow potatoes for these guys. So about every 10 days now, uh, we get probably 40 to 50,000 pounds of potatoes.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: You know what? It's it's um, these potatoes aren't grown for us; they're tithes, so they would have gone under. Um, and uh, but there, I, I actually think there is a if I'm if I recall correctly, it started with let's grow potatoes for them, and now it's a matter of um, it's a lot of potatoes to actually transport across the country, and then you so we have a third party purulator right now who actually is doing reverse logistics for us and is bringing them across the country, we actually stop in Montreal, where we donate about 25,000 pounds of potatoes because you don't want to infiltrate the market. Your agencies are small, they can only take so many potatoes at a time. And um, our partnership uh, in Montreal uh, usually loads the uh, half of the truck that he took of potatoes with frozen meat. And so by the time it comes to Toronto, we have meat and potatoes. The other beauty about knowing, uh, having donors that are so committed to you is when you can say to the agencies that we serve, so you, you can say, okay, you know those 25,000 people a day, you can say on Tuesdays, you're getting potatoes. They can plan for it. And yeah. potatoes are actually, um, they're a food that is uh, pretty well shared across most cultures. So, so yeah. we, you know, just with that that, you know, the foods coming in, People know what to, the agencies know when they have to uh, be prepared to cook them, bake them, whatever. And um, and with the exception of maybe halal or kosher, everybody will eat them.
0: This concept of a PI link to Second Harvest is amazing for a few reasons. I mean, it speaks to this identification of, of food recovery as a national issue, right? Sort of people coast to coast recognizing that they're... It's a
1: global issue.
0: It's a global issue. That's even better framed. But uh, but that, that logistics piece is incredible. But I have to ask, so I mean, if, if this food is being recovered from a farm, in Ontario, uh, three years ago or so, uh, we instituted a tax credit. And it was for farmers to get fair market value for food that was pulled off of their fields and donated to a food recovery agency, essentially, or, or a... a a mission or, or a shelter, a soup kitchen, what have you. Uh, the PEI piece. Do they do they get donation receipts for that? Like, does that transaction happen in Ontario?
1: Absolutely. In fact, thank you for for passing that tax donation yeah. part. <laughs> thank you, people of Canada. Um, it, it has had a tremendous impact on uh, the type of food we receive, and also it makes a lot of sense. You know, being you know when you're donating food, uh, there is a value to it, and why. Wouldn't you get a tax credit or a tax incentive if you were providing it to a charity? So at one point, um, before this was passed, a lot of the food, as you know, is produced along the sort of the, that that corridor uh, along the United States, and it was closer and easier just to bring it to a uh, an American not-for-profit called uh, Forgotten Harvest. Um, and uh, who actually operated a smaller location on the Windsor side, Forgotten Harvest, but they were, yeah, it was just easier because they could, it was a one-stop, you know, drop. Um, Now that they have the tax incentive, then it becomes, okay, how do we get this to uh, A, B, C place in which province? And I think because we were the largest and are the largest food rescue organization in Canada, the call was made and it's only really allowed us to look further afield literally and say okay what else is out there how much food is out there if these amazing farmers can actually donate in quotations um, this amount of food what are the other farmers capable of doing
0: because that's, I mean, it's uh, a policy piece that's been talked around, talked about for years.
1: Well, uh, you know, I have to put this out to you. Somebody said, uh, well, can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you're going to have to decide whether or not we can if, in case we can't. Um, but it, sometimes, you know, sometimes what I really, really like about smaller, uh, flexible organizations as they go, we're doing it. Right. And if we're breaking a law will probably be told.
0: Yeah, well, that's I uh, it's it's Who's always... going to say no at
1: this point? Knowing that the potatoes had already come to Ontario, so we knew that actually there was there was a plan in place.
0: That's right. And and, and, and
1: absolutely. And I, I don't believe that uh, uh Gro Wigan and Sons actually thought about the tax benefit at that point. That was just That sort of happened afterwards. Oh, that's really interesting. That's you know what that is. That's called philanthropy.
0: Well, and then all of a sudden, that tax credit becomes um, becomes corporate social responsibility too, right? It's like here's we're rewarding you for being a strong corporate citizen or or citizen of this country. There's no obligation to do any of this. So I haven't checked on this file in a while, but last I remember looking at this, Quebec was looking at. So we in Ontario, uh, we do 25 percent. Quebec was looking at doing fifty percent and heading up. Are you watching are you sort of looking at what's happening I wish across I had Canada? Time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and,
1: and and I think fifty percent. Um, I hadn't heard that. I hadn't read it. So I mean the journals you're reading are probably a little different than the journals I'm reading. They're probably far more intense. Um, I had not heard about the fifty percent, but I think, you know, I, I who am I to say what is the right percent? I don't know what the food is that they would be getting the 50% tax incentive on, it may be completely different than potatoes. You start thinking, okay, what is the incentive? Is it based on the true value of the food or is it based on poundage?
0: Well, I mean, that fair market value piece is a huge problem, right? Because you essentially would be standing at the warehouse door with a uh, donation receipt book saying like, well, like these strawberries, we can salvage them.
1: Well, actually, we're we're really uh, we know how to use computers, and we actually uh, we wouldn't be standing there with a receipt book giving them a tax donation. It actually comes in, when it's quite.
0: It's like I'm showing my age. Yeah, yeah, you're showing. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I think you're trying to show mine. I think that we have a, a we have a a database, you know, a handheld Flowfinity, which allows us to know exactly what's coming in, uh, under what category, uh, the weights and uh, so we would also probably be able to uh, email a tax receipt pretty quickly through our accounting department of course because we're a business
0: well and that's (laughs) a great point too i mean
1: we're a not-for-profit business but we're a business yeah you're
0: a business that's just not necessarily seeking profit
1: you know we talk about having money in reserves and it's always dangerous when a not-for-profit is not allowed to make money and so, uh, but you must have a certain amount in your reserves, you must, I mean, what if something happened? And, well, not if something, perfect example, and um, you never know what is you know, going to happen in the world that you think, well, how could this impact us? Certainly taking in, um, as we should have, the Syrian refugees, that would have an impact on two things. One. The amount of money gets redirected from putting money into your own organization and going to another, just as wonderful, if not—I don't know—I can't make a value judgment, but it's—it's a critical thing. I mean, uh, as I said, there's only there's only in the human race there is only one race, so this is pretty amazing that we've done this as a country. But it also uh, it also takes money away, but it also takes. Then we have to say how many more, how much more food, uh, people, have, how, how many more people have the potential to become food insecure because of this decision? How yes. many of those Syrian effort, ref, refugees, God forbid, would end up at one of our agencies, right?
0: Amazing. And then and I guess, uh, timeframes are attached to that too, right now Absolutely. in six months, in a year in 18 right. months.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, it's almost like everything has a cycle. So, you know, you, you know, we will probably see that impact come this winter. So let's
0: let's circle back to, to legal changes. And so for me, when I when I look at food recovery organizations, and I guess I mean Second Harvest runs a series of programs, and this is part of what they do or part of what you do. Um,
1: it's our largest program.
0: It's a big program. Let's say it's a ten million pound problem a year that you uh, that you resolve. But like in terms of of laws that have been passed, I mean, really, I can point to two that I think would have a massive effect. Right. And so it was. Um, Probably about 15 years ago, we passed a good Samaritan law that said that if you're donating something in good faith, you really take on no, no liability or no negligence from that. And then the second thing uh, is this tax credit in Ontario. And, and beyond that, like I was doing some research on this new tool on the web called LIPAD, L-I-P-A-D dot com. And they've indexed all of Hansard from, uh, from 1901, I think. It's a tremendous resource, and I was well, farting around on it, and I typed in uh, "food waste" uh, as a specific. You got to get a life, by the way. Oh, it was it was Friday night. <laughs> it was about eleven thirty. Right. The club was getting loud. Right. Yeah, so there I was, <laughs> and and food waste was mentioned one once in the nineteen eighties in Parliament, uh, and then a few times in two thousand and eight, talking about how food waste is used on farms, and and then it was spoken of. Uh, uh several times over the last three years in Parliament but but in the first sort of 100 years of this search it had come up once as a concept So for you I mean, and that's sort of a background of, of where the public conversation has probably been on food recovery and food waste and uh, and, and really thinking about sort of the environmental and the social consequences of, of wasted food to say nothing of the economic consequences Um but if we've got these two pieces of legislation in, I mean, were you there for when uh, when the Good Samaritan law was was put in
1: in the nineteen eighty six? It was renewed, but originally I was there for the first one because it was quite amazing. Um, and, and I I wasn't I wasn't the executive director there. I the, I was working as a volunteer because I uh, the, always volunteered at Second Harvest, uh, probably for twenty five. Thirty years. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I've uh, you know I remember that because uh, there was no there was no law, and that was the original one. It was um, re- it revamped. Um, yeah. um, I was going to say recycled in uh, two th- in the two thousands. Uh, but that's of course it's a critical part of how we can do what we do. But other than that, there has not been much around anything, around either a food policy or a food strategy or a food waste policy, which I like to refer to as an excess food strategy. Uh, And I think the time has come.
0: So Prime Minister Trudeau has given a mandate letter to the Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. He has. And in that letter to Minister McCauley, he said, we want a national food strategy or national food policy. Where do you see Second Harvest within that process? And what do you think a a national food strategy can do for an organization like yours?
1: That's three questions. So let's start with...
0: I got all afternoon. Uh, Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, uh, a strategy is only a strategy. Yeah. And uh, I think that... uh, I think we do need a a national food uh, policy. Uh, But policy is, is... Policy is policy. It's, it will still take uh, a combination of both um, uh, both government and um, organizations, private organizations, working together to actually uh, make to put it into action. It would be interesting to be part of those discussions because I think a national food policy is that the right word? Is that the right title? Is that the right label? Is it a is it a is a national? Is it a national food security? Right. Uh, to me, is is probably more of the uh, mindset of where where we are at Second Harvest. A national food policy says what?
0: I think everything.
1: Pretty much, it's 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 too big of an umbrella, and and I think that a, a national food security um, policy probably makes more sense or strategy, whatever whatever they start doing first. Um, certainly, in in the um, when in in all sorts of discussions like this, you can't just talk to five people or six groups. This is a very 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 large subject. It, it isn't just a, um, a Canadian one. It is a global one. And I think that you have to take it apart and say, if we develop a, a strategy or a national food policy for Canada or a national food policy for Canada, it has to be broken into, into four or five parts. And I know that one would be obviously that everybody has the right to nutrient dense food, period. Um, two, everybody uh, has the right to access that food um, albeit their 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 income level. Um, then you have to. I know that you also have to then say, well, is this who who does this? Is, who has these discussions? Is it agriculture? Is it health? Is it, um, um, is it uh, social development? Is it um, 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 Indigenous and Northern Affairs? It, 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 there's not a one one policy does it all. So I think that will be the interesting challenge. There will be a lot of stakeholders who will want to come to the table and say, that's great, don't forget this, don't forget this, and don't forget this. But it's one thing to actually say, let's do that, which I think we should, and the discussion should be very, very, um, very vast. It also has to be expedited. I don't think that we we can spend five years developing this. I think in parallel, if you look at groups that are already addressing the issues around food, uh, around food policy, food security, food insecurity, food rescue, food labeling, I think that I think that the discussion has to be happening at the same time as action is taking place, and it is. Uh, but I, I also what I'm also hearing is there's a lot of independent discussions going on. And that can be a dangerous thing. So I think we have, as we were discussing earlier, I think, I think we have a fairly abundant um, regulations in place to ensure that the food we currently get gets to the, our table and gets there safely. So, but we need to, we need to sort of take that, and and broaden it out a bit and have regulations about we ensure that food gets used and that I think is the bigger issue because the statistics that have been coming out and people are reading over the past two years is that there's clearly enough food to feed the world Uh, certainly uh, there's a there's 31 billion dollars worth of food is wasted in Canada every year, those stats are already out there. So if the food exists, why would you let it go to waste? To me, I call that excess or surplus food. Right. And so I think that government is only one component of developing this strategy and change needs to happen with businesses and consumers and the agricultural sector. Those are the stakeholders that need to come to the table because policy is great, but what policy is supposed to do, and it's sometimes very challenging, is it's supposed to influence behavior. Right. And behavior, If you, once you can change the behavior, then you'll start, you'll start hearing and seeing things very differently.
0: Right. So when you first were volunteering at Second Harvest... We brought in an act that was a, an, an act of public policy to make sure that no one's going to jail if they, in good faith, donate food. Right. And that encouraged donation, right, and changed behavior. People weren't worried about being sued for that sort of thing. Or the Local Food Act uh, and encouraging farmers to donate food that they've grown to bring it into the soup kitchens uh, through a tax credit it has increased the amount that, that you've received through farmers from as far away as PEI
1: but 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 I would also say that is for as much as you think that people know that
0: <laughs>
1: yeah uh, more more organizations and more uh, certainly m- more people should know that there that this this act was was legislated we're in the food industry you and I we know about it yeah yeah there's a there's quite a few hundred thousands more who could know about it
0: well and let's sing it i mean the most fascinating thing about the food waste discussion for me was after john oliver did his uh, last week tonight piece the 20-minute piece on food waste and just like did the thing that i think we all do when we're having private meetings which
1: is like grab our hair and shake our heads and just say like what is why are we not what john oliver did in that 10-minute rant was more than what governments have been able to do in five years it, it, really grab the attention of of the public and say, what in God's name are we doing? You know, this is a really commonsensical thing. There is so much food going to waste. Aren't we going to get it, people? I mean, we love him because he made it sound so funny, but for us, it was actually terrifying. But you know, we're still trying to talk about the difference between a national food policy or uh, or a national food security policy or, or or whatever you want to call it, and also strategy. And I think that. Uh, policy can uh, mandate change, it can influence behavior, but a, a good strategy in, in the world we're talking about right now, which is taking excess, finding, locating excess food and, and redistributing it to people who are experiencing hunger, that's, for me, action. We have um, a strategy would be, how do you connect food that you know is out there to the people who need it? That strategy.
0: So obviously they're talking to you, because I can't imagine anyone who would know this answer better than you would.
1: Today was probably uh, just a very coincidental day that, that we actually started talking with the, um, uh, the Federal Ministry of Agriculture. It was a very exciting discussion. And uh, because it's not about this issue here uh, with, with the Federal Ministry of Agriculture, is not about um, uh, poverty. This is not about solving poverty it's about what do we do with the excess food that's what it, that's what it's about do we either get the excess food while it's great and redistribute it or does it become food waste and so at that point you're you're saying you go from agriculture yeah to energy really you go what are the co2 emissions that we're preventing from going into 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 our our air so last year that was um 5.1 million pounds of co2 that would have been emitted so you now you start looking at it it's a very layered issue uh you have food security you have excess food you have um food waste you have the environmental issue you have of course over here you have the uh Po- uh, poverty advocates. You have uh, food banks. You have uh, uh, you have policy councils. You have National Zero Waste Council. There is a lot to consider when you're writing something called a policy.
0: So how do you reconcile those voices? I mean, like this sounds like an unenviable task, right? But I mean, you're you're
1: doing something that I think you know. I always say to people, start. Just start. It, it, maybe it's not the right answer, but just start. What you're doing in in your case is you're having a conference. So awareness right away has to be the first thing. You have to make people aware of the issue at hand. And I would, I would invite stakeholders who are specifically dealing with, um, you know, if you have a national food policy conference, you're going to get a thousand people. So then you're going to have to break it down and all, all have a, an equal weight at the table. Excess food weight and redistributing it through the value chain management to people experiencing hunger is not an hour out of that conference. Right. It's a day like everybody else's. And because it is, it is not solving a poverty issue, it is addressing an immediate need and it also solves something while it's doing that. That's the difference. Right. So, have a conference, be loud. You always have to be loud when you want change. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) I love being loud. I love being loud. That's how we met. That's how we met, (laughs) that's right. We met because you said something wrong. It wasn't wrong. It was just not a, an informed uh, statement.
0: Oh, see, I thought it was super informed, but it was poorly articulated.
1: There. Well, you know, and that <laughs> and that and that is the beauty of words. It's... But had you not uh, um, been so misinformed with your words, um, we would never have met.
0: I will wear that egg. Deborah and I met when uh, I, I had an article in the Globe. And and the quote that was taken from me was, gee, you know, like, there, there are tax credit ideas being thrown around, but wouldn't it be great if, if there was some dedicated funding to make sure that Second Harvest freezers are working great? Uh, and I got an email uh, maybe three hours after it hit newsstands from Deborah saying, hey, I don't know who you are, but our freezers are working fine, thank you.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it was very dangerous for uh, for you to imply that they weren't.
0: Right, well, I mean... And you know what? I, I appreciate that now. But it's always challenging. Like when I uh, when I said that the concept, it was within the context of of having some some dedicated funding to ensure that organizations in food recovery had had capacity and, and had the ability to make long term planning decisions. And and that may not be an issue for for second harvest, which is beautiful. If it isn't, but uh, but for other organizations. Uh, it is a huge issue. We don't know. Um,
1: I'm I'm all for investing in infrastructure.
0: Yeah, and that's what you responded with. And then I right. sort of like meekly we- said, well, we should come and talk about this. Here yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, I think that that is certainly a way that governments can help. And um, if you look at, uh, uh, you know, there is, I think, actually a, a fairly large grant, um, for social infrastructure uh, I, I I'd certainly like to be at that table when you when you think about what it takes to run a business or the size of ours uh, and we're at capacity in terms of how much food we can pick up we're gonna need a space we're gonna need we're gonna need rocks and mortar we're gonna yeah. need something called overhead. This is analog right yeah this is this is this is uh, you know we need walls. And, um, you know, we need uh, chairs for people to sit on because there's a wonderful campaign going on in the States for, about not-for-profits. And uh, there is a picture of a, um, there's several individuals involved, but one, the one that st- stuck with me was there was a, a truck driver, um, I believe, for um, one of the missions in the States. And and uh, they delivered a tremendous amount of food on a daily basis in, in this particular city. and. And the caption was, I am overhead. And the reality is, for our drivers to deliver the food, we pay them. Yeah. I know. It sounds really bizarre, doesn't it? And in order to create the, uh, you know, the organization, in order to bring in organizational effectiveness, I run the place. I get paid. Um, I have, uh, you know, I have a director of, uh philanthropy. I you know, I have a director of programs who designs these amazing programs. They get paid. And it is all overhead. and everybody just wants to buy us a truck.
0: right. Someone needs to right. drive service fuel right. Right. that right so
1: i'm I'm one hundred percent for uh, for supporting. Uh, Second Harvest and other organizations such as ourselves with, with, uh, with infrastructure, with the money for infrastructure, because then and only then will we be, will we be able to be sustainable? And I, I, I don't like to think this thought, but we have never received government funding, direct funding. We have had Trillium grants, which has been fantastic. Um, but at this point, With serving 225 agencies, we're saving each agency approximately $92,000 a year in food costs. So, as I said to one of my friends at City Hall, take us out of the equation. That's what's on my shoulders.
0: That's right.
1: And the board's shoulders and my employees' shoulders, the employees. Take us out of the equation. We've been doing this. We've been beating 25,000 people a day um on the generosity of of philanthropists
0: the sector is getting better at explaining the actual impact of its work for a long time i think it was a balance sheet sort of response from, from do you think
1: you know, they've they become accustomed to it because not uh, i don't think because of that that the, the people are going hungry
0: no, no i
1: think they're becoming more aware of it because of the, of the state of, of, the, of climate change, of, of what's happening, um, of the methane gases that are being released. And so you look back at the food production industry, you, you, know, you look back at where it all starts and the amount of energy and time and water that it takes to make that dinner that's in front of you uh, and then to throw it out is just absolutely, it's horrific um so you've wasted there i think there's a chart you can go on and input what you had for dinner but i i believe it takes 1700 liters of, of water to make a hamburger um by the time you've you know, fed the cow raised the cow farmer's Absolutely. time um get it to market do advertising do packaging make the hamburger and go i'm not hungry that's tragedy
0: it's tragedy.
1: So I think that that, that the that the social the, the reason why is this becomes so loud right now has a lot to do with our environment. Like what are the things that are causing our environment to so fundamentally change to and, and this is certainly food waste is, is is one of those huge issues. The fact that if you get it before it becomes waste, right. you have this absolutely wonderful ability to feed people.
0: So tell me about the conference that you went to at uh, the Harvard Food Law and Policy Institute because this was really exciting. This was a conference that was held uh, earlier this year. You were the only Canadian participant in this essentially think tank, like a group of of tremendous American voices mm-hmm. in in food law and policy.
1: I I tried to describe it to people what that meant as an organization to have been invited uh, to this think tank day before the actual conference and um it is so it's such a big thing that then i realized um as we were as we arrived my colleague and i ar- arrived at this conference and we got there we realized they had invited us because what we had been doing had been s- seen as innovative for years a lot of people a lot of organizations a lot of countries were not doing food rescue and um, they were there's there are other food organizations um, and I'm not saying I'm saying in Canada there was very few organizations doing it um, we had your food banks we had uh, we had missions we had smaller church charities but we didn't have anybody who was actually saying there's food out there let's redistribute it and and after you know, after three decades, you become very adept at it. You become very flexible. I think um, even though I know that food banks are changing their model to become, try and be partially uh, food recovery operations, just the ramp up time is going to take a long, long time. And also the, your original investment. You know, for us, it's, it's um, our reputation and, and knowing what to do and understanding the roots and growing as the city grew this is what other organizations such as City Harvest has had to do. Um, Houston Food Bank has had to do. So when you've been around a long time, it's just this is the business.
0: Right, right. This is the grease that keeps the wheels running.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that the conference for us, we learned, um, we shared a lot of information, but I was I was so overwhelmed by how much learning there was. Um, to know that... You, th- there were global speakers, and and so you start feeling like, okay, we're not fighting in this little um, this little place. We're not struggling to make our voice loud. Everyone's struggling to make their voice loud because this food, you know, excess food and food waste is a huge issue. And um, what really impressed me was that you had. Government there, you had very large uh, philanthropic foundations there, you had uh, international speakers there, and um, you had social entrepreneurs there. There were there were people who really want to and are addressing this in in a very serious way. So I remember I, I asked actually the woman from the Rockefeller Foundation, you know, would she ever consider funding uh, Canadian. Uh, organization, she said, I would fund a global one, meaning if you were a partner, and I thought, wow, that, that we're looking for change in this area on, on such a different level now. They want to invest in ideas and solutions that address excess food before it becomes food waste. That was just one of the sessions. <laughs> um, we talked about earlier, we know that 51% of, of, of food that is wasted in Canada is in the home. And so everybody, you know, they, they think that I'm a home, at, an expert at sort of how to manage home food waste. And, um, <laughs> you know, when you have three boys, they, they eat everything. So there's no food waste in the house. But uh, but what I did, uh, I did discover, there, was, there were a couple of very ingenious ideas uh, created by um some very bright people gosh i wish i remember their names right now right now one is one of the guys was from um from new england he was uh, developing an educational uh, approach to teach children in, in in the schools as you know um, guilting your parents is one way to bring them to a whole different level of, of, of uh, education, but um, y- you know how we we've been really good and pri- probably pride ourselves in Canada on using the uh, the recycling boxes and the the
0: the organics. Like, absolutely, waste separating and
1: put it underneath the cupboard, and we just throw our organics in there, and we just pat ourselves on the back like we got this down. We are so distanced from actually what we're doing that was a huge shift and it allowed the you know that that distribution of waste to go in its proper place so it, it sort of saved created some efficiencies in the final redistribution of organics versus versus recycling versus other waste so it helped there but what it did is it distanced us from food waste so this gentleman, Um, just came to this conference
0: to interrupt you so when you say distance yourself from it so traditionally you've got let's say you've got your garbage and you've got a blue bin
1: yeah,
0: um, and you toss it away now that we separate out this organics piece when you say distanced it's still you're identifying it but it still is going away
1: yeah you're identifying you're saying that's organics you don't say that's food waste that's organics everybody calls it organics they don't say hey open the food waste jar (laughs) (laughs) right Right. Right, And so, because it's organic, which we associate as a great thing. I feel good about that. I feel good about that. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, there I am again, taking my little organics out and, and, and what we've done is we don't, we really should be saying, Hey, where's the food waste bin? So uh, there was a suggestion that there, that every dinner table should have a, a uh, transparent large jar that they just put all their food scraps in for a week you know that changes behavior Mm. when you start to see it in front of you every day so i tell people that story and and even though i'm not responsible for 51 percent of the food waste across the this this country of ours i think it's a brilliant idea and to remind people you know you're not doing a good thing here so what are you doing, and what could you be doing differently now that you've seen a week's worth of food waste?
0: In dealing with food waste generally, one of the hardest pieces is figuring out how to change consumer behavior, right? Like, like certainly we could we could trim what's being wasted at the production level or with restaurants, uh, but fundamentally, it really is a consumer waste issue. And so, what you're saying is, I mean, it's it's educational, obviously, but what you're saying is almost it's a like this is something that we could introduce to, to schools and say hey like
1: the same the same individual had a series of stickers in different colors and so imagine being you open up the refrigerator your your 4-year-old your 5-year-old your 2-year-old your 9-year-old and and the stickers were there were three eat me first eat me second eat me third and when children see that that's what they grow up with we grew up in a different generation. Right. We probably really didn't have as much food that we wasted because we either grew up in the '50s, the '60s, or the '70s, or some of you guys grew up in the '80s. But um, you know, food waste was not was not acceptable for many, many reasons. But with this whole um, sort of foodie boom in, throughout the world, where you eat the best and buy the best and search and tell stories this is a life experience talking about food for people some people um we we've forgotten that that tomato that you went in yesterday and bought and was so beautiful and the next day you go in and there's still a beautiful tomato They've they've changed those tomatoes out they, they, nobody wants to see a little bruise or anything. So it's, 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 we've become, when I say, disassociated from the food, we can't remember why the same food is in the store that was there yesterday and it still is beautiful. On the other hand, the food rescue organization Thank you for the tomatoes. <laughs> They're very helpful. They're very helpful. Um, but that's where, you know, that's where a lot of excess food goes. It, it goes to us.
0: When France put forward a, a, essentially a, a law in dealing with blemished and, and bruised and, and fruit that was fine to eat, but was, uh, was not sort of within that paradigm. Uh, and they kind of took like a stick approach to it and said, like, you shall sell this, or... Um, Uh, or there's going to be an enforcement piece here? The
1: unfortunate piece is anything that is negative. Um, You might change behavior, but I'm not sure what behavior, that behavior is you're going to change. So if you want to identify a a positive change in behavior, I think incentives always work well. And and that's certainly what I would recommend for Canada. Um, But what France did was that's a hefty tax. So um, who's it really? Whose behavior is it changing? It's changing those grocery stores, or, or or are they? And then I say, well, if they're going to not redistribute the food, um, and they will face fines of up to seventy-five thousand euros. How do you know what they're doing with the food?
0: Because like my initial thought was, uh, well, this is a really simple problem. If everyone is affected by the same legislation or regulation, then we simply increase the prices of those tomatoes to cover for the additional expense that we have to deal with in terms of be it regulate, fines or de- sending it on to wherever it needs to go or send it, selling that blemished fruit at a discount. But, uh, I mean, so expand on on, on your piece. I mean, uh, what are they doing to get that fruit to, to look correct? Like, What you, what would be involved in in... Yeah, on a from a grocery store's perspective on, on making them compliant,
1: making them compliant. <laughs> right.
0: Well, and I guess that's sort of the undertone of the entire piece, right? It's like, this, is like this this shouldn't be something that anyone resents,
1: right? But it, but but how much does that impact the consumer?
0: Right.
1: If the consumer doesn't have to pay the fine, yeah. If the consumer is still going to um to to buy that food i'm not sure if it's it was the right solution it apparently it's been effective but you know is it sustainable I'm, i mean i much prefer th- that the uh the food waste law introduced in italy um really encouraged people uh, you can you know in it in italy you can now take i can't believe it you can t- take doggy bags home from restaurants who would have, have thought that? in <laughs> italy though right you know <laughs> so but but it's wonderful um and 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 farmers and supermarkets are encouraged to seek charities that require the food and that's amazing that that becomes part of a hey we're all in this together as opposed to taxing
0: i know second harvest i've known second harvest it feels like all my life but definitely since i was like maybe like 13 or 14 and i remember driving on the lakeshore and seeing which is now sadly gone But uh, this wonderful sign saying Second Harvest and being a kid and essentially asking my parents, that doesn't make any sense, that can't exist. And then finding out very much like, this is an essential part of our food recovery network and an essential part of all of the missions that exist in Toronto. How can we help? I mean, so broadly speaking, obviously, Second Harvest is an amazing charity. And if you've got some cash lying around, this is always a wonderful thing to donate to. But it also sounds like there seems like there's some actions that we can take as sort of the general public to raise the profile of your campaigns and what you want to see.
1: There is there's always ways that uh, that you can help. You know, uh, financial donations, absolutely. We'll take your money. We'll take your money. I tell you what, we'll take your money, and we'll uh, um, now that uh, uh, now that we actually have a measurement for. Um, social return on investment. We're uh, Second Harvest is one of the top ten charities in Canada. That's For amazing. every dollar that you invest in us, we actually redistribute about six fifty worth of social services. So um, you know, if you're thinking, how far can my fifty dollars go, or whatever, it can go far. It's a hundred meals. So just just don't give it a second thought. Uh, think about becoming a monthly donor. Uh, it doesn't. Take a lot off your paycheck at the end of the day, um, if it's ten dollars or twenty five dollars, but it sure adds up at the end of the year. If you're a millionaire out there, um, please give me a call. Um, <laughs> I am, you know.
0: <laughs> Our demographics skew highly. Uh, true, and I want to. I want
1: to be t- as diverse and fair to everyone. Yeah. Uh, I also say, write, write, uh, write your city councillor, write your member of parliament. Change can't happen without a voice. Change cannot happen without the numbers of people to stand up and say, this is absolutely insane. This is an easy solution. Food exists. Help organizations like Second Harvest get it to those who need it. And as a bonus, you're also totally cleaning up the environment. I can't think of a better reason not to do it. I mean, it really, it's a win-win. Science, exactly. And if you really really want to become really aware of what we do, come ride a truck for a day. I have, we have a, a wonderful wonderful generous donor and she will always tell the story if somebody says what is the you know what what attracted you to second harvest and she just says it changed my life.
0: Thanks to my guest, Deborah Lawson of Second Harvest. Uh, The podcast will resume in late October, uh, featuring Dr. Catherine Ma from uh, Memorial University of Newfoundland Labrador. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, Until then, uh, please reach out via Twitter. Thanks, as always, to Shane McPherson for the great music.